Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 18th day of March 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on my front porch on a beautiful sunny day here in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Well, I am continuing my series on the teams that should have won. And as I promised in last week's episode, where I talked about the 2001 New York Yankees, that I would try to get the teams that I talk about a lot out of the way early. So some of the teams I don't bring up so often, some of the teams that are not big-time contenders and won't be the topic of many daily podcasts down the way, well, those fans can't say you never talk about me. You know, I will be bringing up some of the non-contenders in late August into September when this series is going to continue going on. I've got to figure out how long this series is going to go. I'm going to do 31 of these, 30 for each of the current franchises, and I'm also going to throw in one for Montreal. Today I'm going to do the San Francisco Giants team I talk about so often that people have written in saying they're tired of me talking about it. And it's my podcast. I do 365 of these a year, but guess what? I'm going to talk about the Giants right now. And this one, well, this one was a tough one because the San Francisco Giants, and, you know, if you're a recent fan of the San Francisco Giants, you'd see that it was a team that has won multiple championships, 2010, 2012, 2014. They won the World Series each time. Now, last year, they probably could have beaten the Cubs. Keep in mind, they lost game one, one to nothing, and they lost game four where they had a three-run lead in the ninth inning. If the Red, Red Sox, I'm just calling them the Red Sox, geez. If the Giants had held on to that three-run lead, Johnny Cueto would have been pitching Game 5 in Wrigley Field with no pressure. There would have been no pressure on the Giants. All the pressure would have been on the Cubs. Is this another year of the curse? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And how humiliating that this super Cub team could have possibly lost in the first round and be one of those completely unmemorable first-round teams like the 2012 Cincinnati Reds. The who? Exactly. And the Cubs had the best record in the National League in 2008 and resulted in zero postseason wins. Was this going to be more of that? Now, because of that, <clears throat> I kind of was thinking maybe last year's Giants would have been the team to bring up because uh, another championship would have continued the even-year run for one more cycle. They would probably okay, let's see what happens in 2018. And I really think that if the team had an adequate bullpen that they would have won the division. And if they, had an, if they didn't blow all those, you know, if they didn't blow that save in game four, I think they would have won the series. Now, would they have beaten Los Angeles? I don't know. I don't know. But there is a sense of, oh, man, they could have done it. They could have done the even-year thing one more. But that's just greed. That's just greed if you're a Giant fan and that's the year you pick. And it's also discounting. All of the years that the Giants didn't win. Now, remember, they arrived in San Francisco after the 1957 season. 
And they had won the World Series in 1954, and they had championships in the 1930s and the 1920s, and John McGraw won all those pennants. So, you know, I talked about this in the podcast I did from the Polo Grounds Towers, that had the some things bounce this way or that, the Giants would have been remembered as the great New York baseball team, and it probably would have been the Yankees who moved west. By the way, you can tell it's a beautiful day because you could hear some of my neighbors walking around. I'm not going to tell them to be quiet because I'm doing a podcast. It's a beautiful day. They should be outside. My kids will be outside soon, too. But between the arrival in San Francisco and defeating the Texas Rangers in 2010... There were zero championships for the Giants. In fact, they went from 1962 to 1989 without an appearance in the World Series. And in that stretch, only two playoff appearances, 1971 1987. They had the best player of the 1960s, Willie Mays. They had the pitcher who won the most games in the, uh, in the 1960s in uh, Juan Marichal. And they couldn't win it. They had the best player of the 1990s and the 2000s in Barry Bonds and couldn't win it. And they had some agonizingly close calls. Now, the first team to bring up in this would be, of course, the 1962 Giants. Because with one at-bat, Willie McCovey, he hit a deep drive to right field that hooked foul that would have been a World Series clinching homer. And when he did get a hold of one, he tattooed a ball that happened to go right into the glove of Bobby Richardson. If it was a little higher or a little bit more to the right, it would have gone to right field. And the Giants would have won the World Series on a team that would have included uh, you know, Orlando Cepeda and Willie McCovey and Juan Marichal and Willie Mays and all these great players were on that squad. And they didn't win. Now, the first team, now, that team won the pennant, was a beloved team. I'll tell you a team that the whole idea of these teams that I bring up are not just how close they got, but the combination of players who were on the roster, all-time greats, beloved players, players who would have won their only championship, players that would have represented something to the fans. And with that in mind, the team in 1971, the lost They won the first game of the NLCS to the Pittsburgh Pirates and then lost the next three. On that team, that was the only postseason appearance for Dave Kingman in his entire career. The only postseason appearance for Bobby Bonds in his entire career. The only postseason appearance for Juan Marichal, not Juan Marichal, sorry, for Gaylord Perry in his entire career. It is a wonderful cross-section of players who you associate with the 70s. Chris Spire, Bobby Bonds, as I mentioned, uh, Dave Kingman. You had George Foster on that team. You had Gaylord Perry on that team. You had Steve Stone on that team. But also players left over from the 1961 squad, like Marichal, like Willie McCovey, and Willie Mays. It was Willie Mays' final full season as a member of the Giants, San Francisco or New York. And that combination of players, if they had won, There's your ring for Tito Fuentes. There's your ring for Bobby Bonds. You know, there's your ring for for Hall of Famers, Willie McCovey, Juan Marichal, and Gaylord Perry. This would have been their lone ring. 
for beloved players like Jim Ray Hart was on that team. There was a bunch of players who were just good, solid giants from over the years. Jerry Johnson was a good, solid giant. You know, there were other players who would have, that would have been their lone championship. And if you're going to have to have a team that wins, to have it be filled with players who are just beloved players, which is kind of the idea of this list, instead of having it be a grab bag of people who only played this year or that. So I considered 71. I also considered 87, which were the team that I first really were introduced to the Giants. It was the first year we lived in California. And it was a team that kind of took advantage of a bunch of late-season moves and some, let's just call it, questionable managing, maybe with questionable motives, from Pete Rose and the Cincinnati Reds, who fell apart towards the end. And they won their first division title since 1971, which meant it was the first time the San Francisco Giants were in the playoffs in my lifetime. And so seeing that squad, which was a very easy-to-root-for squad, which was full of some real characters, whether it was Jeffrey Leonard or Chili Davis or uh, Craig Lefferts, or Rick Rushell, or Will Clark. And you had the, the Dave Dravecki's of the world, the, the, the Don Robinson's of the world, the Jose Uribe's of the world were on that team, and as were Candy Maldonado and Bob Brenly and Bob Melvin, who was born in Palo Alto, by the way. You probably know that from the thousands of shows I've done in Palo Alto. And so it was an interesting mix of players who had just been there for a few months and players who had been there for a while seemed to be lifers. But because the mix included a bunch of players who just got there, it seems like a strange one to include on this list. Although, if you ask Giant fans, they absolutely adore that team. And it really seemed like the likes of Russell and Mitchell and Dravecki and Lefferts and Robinson were there for a lot longer than they really were. It's kind of like the 2004 Red Sox when you think about it because there were a lot of players on that team who seemed like they were, oh, man, there's so many great years with the Red Sox. And you look like, no, it was only a couple of years. So in the 89 Giants, again, they made it to the World Series. But I think Giant fans, if you ask them one-on-one, they probably have a stronger feeling towards the team that lost the playoffs in 87. Of course, you had the team in 2002 that were up five runs in a clinching game to the Anaheim Angels and lost it. The the bullpen collapsed, and there were some questionable managerial decisions by Dusty Baker. But, you know, I have a hard time. There's a lot of players on that team who you associate with other teams and were only with the Giants for a tiny bit of time. Whether it's the Reggie Sanders, the, the David Bells, the Kenny Loftons, of the world, even the Rob Nens of the world. You know, even the, I mean, who else? Was, I mean, there was Benito Santiago was the NLCS most valuable player. When you hear Benito Santiago, does anyone immediately start thinking about the San Francisco Giants? It was a strange team filled with mercenaries, and if they had won, it would have been beloved mercenaries, much like, as I said, the 04 and the 2013 Red Sox were filled with short-timers. But it was, in terms of what this series is about, it's a tough one. And I'll tell you, as someone who follows the Giants pretty closely, the year that I look back on and I say, man, the what could have been, it almost came instantly because of all the elements about it, what it meant to the team, what it meant to the city, 
what it meant for the players who were on the team, and what it meant for the legacy of the squad, and where it would have taken place. And the year is 1993. 1993, the year they should have won. The team is best remembered for having a big lead on the Braves and having the Braves catch them and win on the final day of the season. And by all stretches of the imagination, that would imply the Giants choked. But as someone who followed the team closely that year, they won 103 ball games. It's really tough to make an argument that your team choked and won 103 ball games. That implies they should have won 110 ball games or something along those lines. Also keep in mind, they had winning records in June, July, August, September, and for the three games in October, they went two and one. In other words, for a team that had the history has painted as, oh, they folded, this was a team that did not have a losing month at any point in the season. And their record in one-run games were 29 and 18. They had a 617 winning percentage in extra inning game, in uh, uh, one-run games. So calling this a choking, the one thing you can point out was that they went 6-7 and seven against the Atlanta Braves. They had a losing record against the Braves, but it wasn't like the Braves went, you know, 10 and 2 off of them or something like that. So they, this is a team that didn't have a down month, really. And when you look at the squad, there were players left over from the 87 89 team, most specifically Will Clark and Robbie Thompson. There were players who became, you know, players that you associate with the Giants, like Royce Clayton, like Darren Lewis like Rod Beck um, and Jeff Brantley. Jeff Brantley was on the 89 World Series team, too. And you also had the arrival of Barry Bonds. And this is when Bonds was still skinny Bonds. This is when Bonds was still all-round great player Bonds. This is when Bonds hit 46 home runs, stole 29 bases, batted 336, put out an OPS of 1.136, and drove in 123 along the way. This is 28-year-old Bonds in his prime. This is the Bonds who, if he had won, looking like that, playing like that, with a championship ring and his dad as the first base coach. Maybe, I don't know, just maybe he would have become the national figure and maybe, just maybe, he would not have felt the need to have his body explode. If he would have remained in that physique playing like this, he may not have been the home run champion. He just may have been the best all-around player, and got 100% of the damn vote for the Hall of Fame. But here's another reason why it would have meant something amazing for the Giants and their fans. Just the year before, they were going to move. Management was fed up with the situation. They couldn't get a new stadium. Just a few years removed from their first World Series appearance since 1962, the earthquake had hit in the middle of the World Series, dampening any positivity that came about from that pennant and killed the proposed new ballpark plan. 
Manager said, I'm done. We tried. We're out. They were going to sell to a group in Tampa Bay. They were going to move the Giants to Tampa Bay. They were printing out shirts saying Tampa Bay, a giant baseball tradition. They were holding It was going to happen because there was no solution. And then McGowan bought the team and said, I'm going to try to keep it here. But, I mean, everyone was a little skeptical. It became sad going to the stick in 1992. I went to a bunch of games in the stick. There was a sense of inevitability that this team's going to go. This is it. And they're playing in this terrible ballpark, and this is how it ends, with a whimper, with this shell of a former team there in 1992. And they're going to go to a dome in Tampa Bay. And alas, the team was bought. And they knew they needed to do something to win back the fans and get their trust back and get them excited. Barry Bonds was the best player in baseball. He had won the MVP in 1992. He had won an MVP in 1990. He should have won one in 1991. And alas, he decided to come home. Alas, he decided to sign with the Giants when everybody thought he was going to sign with the Braves. Everybody thought he may sign with the San Diego Padres or maybe the New York Yankees. But the Braves looked like the likely landing spot for him. Instead, the Braves decided to sign Greg Maddox. I'll go out on a limb and say that was a pretty decent signing as well. But the Giants signed him. Made him the highest paid player in baseball. Surprising everyone. It was a homecoming. And hmm, this got some people excited to go to the game. And he homered in his first game at Candlestick Park or whatever the hell they were calling it then. And he brought the goods all year. He brought it defensively. He brought it offensively. He brought fans to the stands. And look, at I have no idea if he got along with Matt Williams. I have no idea if he got along with Will Clark. And neither do you unless you're Barry Bonds, Will Clark, or Matt Williams. In the end, I don't care. Because that was the one year they were all together. And the one year they were all together, they won 103 ballgames. And the only reason they didn't waltz in as the National League West champion was because, stupidly, divisions were lined up in a way that the Braves were in the West for reasons I will never understand. For reasons that will never make sense. The NLCS should have been the Braves and the Giants' best of seven. And it would have been a classic. Because the Braves, I mentioned the 93 Braves in their instance of this series. That was a great Braves team. Maybe the greatest of all the Bobby Cox Braves teams. And this was a great Giants team. And seeing these two go head-to-head in a best-of-seven series, with the way Billy Swift was pitching, with the way that John Burkett was pitching, with the way the Giants' bullpen was lined up, with the way that their, their lineup looked, even with an injured Robbie Thompson down the stretch, and going them head-to-head with Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz, Avery, it would have been a classic contest. And instead, they were in the same division. And the Phillies wound up going to the World Series. The third best team in the National League. And it would have been a championship at Candlestick. 18th Park is the best park in baseball. It is. 
And I love that they play there. I love that's their new identity. But for so many years, their identity was in Candlestick, and only the biggest and bravest fans would go to games there. And to win just one title in Candlestick, and to win just one title with Will Clark, to win just one title with the wind coming in from the bay, and win one title with Barry Bonds, and with skinny Barry Bonds, with fast Barry Bonds, with the all-round player Barry Bonds, with the Barry Bonds that even his biggest detractors right now cannot argue against. I look at that team in 1993 and say, man, that should have been the team that won. And I don't think it would have taken away from what they did in 2010, 2012, and 2014. Because the team feels different and looks different in the new ballpark. It's a new identity and a new fan base in many ways. It's not just the diehard fans who can deal with the wind blowing in, but it's a, become a whole great part of the San Francisco identity, much like what the Cubs have become with Chicago. But one title in Candlestick with that crew, man, the 1993 Giants, the team that should have won. If you want me to talk about your team, and I will eventually in this series, send me your suggestion for your team. I've already done the Red Sox, the Braves, the Yankees, and the Giants. If you want me to do I already have a few suggestions for the Dodgers and for the Reds. Uh, fire them along. I want to hear. Uh, do it at Twitter at Sully Baseball. You can go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, Raven, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Remembering the great 1993 Giants on a beautiful day in Southern California. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>